Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 1, Episode 10, The Level Ground We All Stand On, Romans 2, 1-4. I'm sure you found yourself lately reading either something online or watching the news or somehow comparing yourself to another person. And in your mind's eye, you, you probably are saying something like, I sure I'm glad I'm not like that guy. I mean, what a, what a moron, right? Why is it so easy for us to put ourselves above others or to look at someone's specific behavior, maybe something we don't struggle with in that particular category, and, and then we just tend to judge them? Why do we do that? Or, or why do we say, you know, I really judge people who do blank, But I most certainly wouldn't judge somebody who does another blank, and that blank is because I struggle with that blank. What what is it about us that always wants for us to be the, quote, good guy in the story? Hey, my name is Pastor Steve Treichler. Welcome to Romans Untangled. Uh, having a ball doing this. Uh, thanks so much for the encouragement. I uh, really appreciate this being my first real shot at a podcast. Some of the some of the comments people have made. You've been kind. I'm sure that the you know the honeymoon season will end. And and uh, no, I'm just kidding. But really, it has been great, and I've really really enjoyed just uh, sharing some of my heart about the Book of Romans and sharing that that this is for you. Anyone can do this. If a kid from the Iron Range uh, can can read through the Book of Romans and and understand some of the more complicated things over time, you can too. And one of the ways we've been kind of dialing into that is by going through a Bible study tool each week. And this tool is one of the the um, tools that I've carried in my tool belt for Bible study uh, ever since I heard it from a Baptist preacher by the name of Lewis Hill. And Lewis Hill uh, gave the best. Bible study method I've ever heard. And it simply was this. He says, when you read your Bible, read it like it's true. (laughs) Now, I know that might seem kind of silly to say, right? Read it like it's true. Of course it's true. No, he just means like when you are reading about a situation, put yourself in that situation. Smell the smells. Feel the feels. Take time to go through and think, what would have what would have happened in this room had when Jesus was speaking and then it says and they were silent what does the tension feel like in that room and and what's going through the minds of the of the people who are there it's really really helpful also when you read the bible like it's true you're not just glossing over it you're actually pausing and saying wait a minute why is that idea there? Or why do they include that little historical fact? Uh, The old adage some people have said is, nothing is there for nothing. In other words, everything is in the Bible for a reason. And why is it there? What What's going on there? What's some of the, the, the clues that it can give you to what's happening? Notice the weird stuff. The stuff that as you read it, you say, that just sounds funny. Why, why did they use that word or what were they trying to get at here? Let, let me give you one example. And as, as I started to practice this more and more in my own life, I started realizing that some verses of the Bible, some verses that I had memorized, known for years, that when I, when I, when I started to slow down and say, wait a minute, what does that mean? I remember this happening to me with a Bible verse. Maybe many of you know, uh, I was part of the Navigator ministry in college, and we memorized scripture, one of the first verses we memorized. 
is 1 John 1, 9. Maybe many of you know that. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? 1 John 1, 9. Well, I remember thinking about that, knowing it for years. And of course, you 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 hone in on the words, you know, uh, if you confess your sins, and then what's going to happen is that God will forgive you and he will cleanse you from that. That's just a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful promise, right? And it's worthy of memorization. But one day I was just quoting it out loud, thinking about that verse, and it hit me. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Now, wait a minute. That's not the word I would have expected there. Justice demands that if there's a, that if, if I were to confess a crime, then I would, you know, pay the penalty. I would, I would go, go to jail, right? Or, or whatever. I, if I confess something, then there would be a consequence. You think the word here would be, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and merciful. But that's not what the word. The word is just. He's faithful and just. In other words, as a follower of Jesus Christ, justice has been served at the cross, and it would be unjust for God to hold any confessed sin over us at all. Do you see what's at stake here? So that verse actually is saying, if we confess our sins, if you unload all of your heart to God, everything that you can possibly know about what's on your heart, God will not only forgive you of that, but he'll cleanse you from that. And if he doesn't, he is actually unjust. He is not a just God. Well, that's not a good thing for God to be. He can't be that. He would cease to be God. What's at stake here is God and his existence in how he's going to treat me, the one who comes to him with true repentance and, and confession. It's life-changing. All that thought came from like, hey, wait a minute now. That's a weird word. Why would you use that word there? That's read the Bible like it's true. Smell the smells. Think the thinks. Uh, feel the feels. All of them. Let's get back to our study of Romans. I want to remind you again of the theme. We are starting chapter two, and I just want to remind you where we're going now. And I, I feel like I almost need to do this until we get right to the very beginning of the second part of the book of Romans, which I'd call the good news, uh, the middle of chapter three. The theme comes from Romans 1, 16 and 17, and it says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now he goes from there, immediately in this book of Romans, now he's going to go into a teaching, and he's going to start explaining what is this gospel in which the righteousness of God is going to be revealed. He immediately goes in, just to remind you of the context, in verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed against all godlessness and wickedness of people. He goes on to describe a little bit more about how that took place. I encourage you to go back and listen to those podcasts. Read Romans 1, starting in verse 18. And then it says that God gave them over. He gave them over to to sexual immorality, right? Gave them over to to, uh, shameful lusts, it says. We looked at this uh, a podcast ago, uh, where it goes into the sin of sexual sin, especially the sexual sin of homosexuality. Again, looking that uh, that's a way of looking at exchanging creator 
for creation. Instead of going to other, we go to same. And then he goes on to just broaden it. And he says in verse 28, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, this is key to understand the context. Where are we going now? We're starting in chapter two, and Paul is going to make a huge pronoun change. Okay, he went, he was they, 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 right? And whenever you hear the word they, and the they are somehow negative, the they never really includes you. It's just them, right? The them people, whoever the them people are in the deal. Oh, those people, right? That's masterful. What the Apostle Paul just did is he set this thing up in Romans chapter 1, and if you don't struggle with some type of sexual sin, and if you, don't, uh, if you aren't active in homosexual uh, sexual sin, and if some of the lists of those things are not there, at least not, uh, uh, you know, you're not murdering people, you're not maybe necessarily being a gossip and a slanderer, uh, some of these things, you instantly say, well, that's the they, Right? Great. So now, look what happens in our passage for today. The first four verses of chapter 2. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So what's he doing here? He, he's flipping it now. He went from they, the pronoun shift goes to you. Okay, so in a lot of people are like, who's the you now? Is it the Roman readers? Well, it could be, sure. Some people think he's, he's shifting the gears going from the Gentile community to the Jewish community. And I, it's very clear here at some point he's going to specifically speak to the Jewish people and say, you're sinners too, just like everybody else, right? What do we know from the passage for sure? He says, who's the you, verse 1? You who pass judgment on someone else. That's who the you is. Okay? So, who is that? Who is it who who passes judgment on someone else? I'm going to submit to you that that is every one of us. I'm going to submit to you that there's something inane about us that constantly wants to put ourselves in the in community and everyone else who doesn't meet whatever standards we've somehow met, we put them in the other category. You see this in all kinds of different ways. You see it in the sins of racism, elitism, 
classism, right? You see it in ageism. Uh, You see it all kinds of different ways. But in some way, shape, or form, we look at other people and we say, I'm glad I'm not like them, right? We all do it. This Sunday, for instance, (laughs) at our church, uh, Pastor Corp Shemaleski was preaching and he mentioned what what he, he there's a thing called virtue signaling. Virtual signaling is where you post something on social media, something that you're passionate about, that basically is out there to make you look like you're in the right crowd. Let me give you the definition. The definition of virtue signaling is the action or practice of publicly expressing opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one's good character or the moral correctness of one's particular uh, one's position on a particular issue you post something political or or social justice which which is good right but the idea is hey you morons you're not doing this right i am right i think this way therefore i'm right and you're all wrong. Now, that very well may be the case on a particular issue you may have, but the idea there is, is you put, you're, you're, you're signaling your own virtue, okay? As he's saying this, and I'm not kidding you, as he's saying this, I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm sure glad I don't do that. I'm just not one of those people who post things on social media to show each, that I'm better than everybody else. And then it hit me. Oh my gosh, how quick it just happened. I am virtue signaling to myself that I have a higher virtue than those people who virtue signal. We're, it's, it's a terrible disease. So uh, I, I want you to realize that one of the main things in the Bible is to teach you, and what Paul is going to be doing for Mormons 118 all the way through uh, uh, Romans 3.20 is trying to teach that everyone except for Jesus Christ is in the other. We are all that guy. All of us. We're all that guy. Uh, li- listen, just how, how Jesus tried to get this across in, in, in a few different ways. First of all, is it is his Sermon on the Mount? A lot of people look at the Sermon on the Mount different ways. Is the this is a new gospel ethic? He's explaining things to to what this is, and I, I don't I don't disagree with that, but I don't think it's he's doing it so that you can, you can say, oh, I've achieved it now. I'm good with God. Good luck with that. Yeah, Matthew chapter six verse twenty one says, "You heard that said that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you." that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. <laughs> so he's saying, wait a minute here. Maybe you didn't murder them physically, but you murdered their, you, you, you murdered their, their, their reputation. You murdered, uh, you, you thought wickedly of them. You, you basically said, you fool, I hate you, right? Whoa, that puts the bar at another stratosphere above you shall not murder. Because, you know, hey, for the majority of people, you go through life and you're probably not going to kill someone either accidentally or not. And, and if you have, that's also someone that's, that's something that's forgivable. 
But for the rest of us to go, well, I, you know, I haven't done that, so I'm pretty good, right? Jesus wants to say, no, look higher. And then to make every guy in the world cringe, he says, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery in verse 27 of chapter 6. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he's saying, listen, you, you just think you're good because you're better than those who've committed adultery? And, and yeah, I'm not saying, oh, well, if you've lusted after someone, go ahead and then commit adultery. Jesus isn't saying that either. But he's trying to say, if you think you can say you're better than that person, you somehow think that they're a sinner and you're not, I got nothing for you. If you've even just looked at a woman lustfully, well, every... You know, every person struggles with with lust. We all, like I talked about in my bonus episode on uh, sexual sin, uh, that that everyone's sexuality is broken, and and so we all struggle with this. To make this point super clear, Jesus told what I believe, and it's it's arguable, but I read it somewhere on the internet, and now you can say, hey, I heard it in a podcast. Uh, so it has to be true. The most important parable I believe in the Bible is the parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 18. And it, it my close second is the parable of the prodigal son. No question. I believe that's very important. But I actually think this one gets to the heart of everything. Luke 18, 9 through 14. It says this. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So get in the context, right? They're confident of their own righteousness. I don't need God. I'm good. And not, and not only that, but I look down on other people. Okay? He tells a parable. And here's the parable. Two men went up to a temple to pray. One a Pharisee, which is a religious leader, knows the Bible well, and a tax collector who's a traitor and a cheater and, and someone who the Jewish people hated because he was a Jew, but he worked for the Romans and he overcharged the 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 uh, the Jewish people to give the money to the the Romans just so he's he's painting this picture in this very short story as here's the good guy and the bad guy you expect the good guy to be the Pharisee the bad guy to be the tax collector and here's what happens the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed God I thank you that I'm not like other people robbers evildoers adulterers right and the those are bad things, right? Stealing, doing evil, just, just out to do mayhem and, and ruin other people's lives. Adulterers, ruin families, all that, right? Not good. And then he looks over and he says, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. That's his prayer. <laughs> so his, his prayer is, God, I thank you that you made me a lot better than other people. I'm just better. Jesus goes on. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Crazy story, right? Crazy story. You got the, who you think's the good guy and who's the bad guy, and Jesus flips it. And the only difference between the, listen, morally speaking, the Pharisee's probably a better guy. 
The tax collectors have done all kinds of wickedness. Much more blatant wickedness, clearly. Jesus is trying to make a point, and his point is this. If you think you got it made, if you think you're better than other people, you don't really get the gospel. The gospel says that it's level ground before me. Everyone's a sinner. That's not to say that every sin is equal in its consequence. Of course not. It's much less of a consequence to say you're, you fool to your brother than it is to kill them physically, literally. Of course. But he's also saying if you think that makes you okay with God just because you didn't do what other people have done. Listen, it's, it's not a curve that God grades on. <laughs> That's not how it works. It's have you done everything or not? And therefore, if you haven't, which none of us have, what that does then is it requires us to be humble, to look at God, and then go right back to 1 John 1, 9 that I quoted before, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what this tax collector prayed, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Pharisee, Pharisee prayed, God, I thank you that I'm good enough on my own, that you made me good enough and I've done it well. I've done it way better, according even better than this guy. Now, uh, a friend of mine, one of our interns, said he was reading this passage and he backed away from it and he said, oh man, God, I am thankful that I'm not like that Pharisee. <laughs> and he went, oh my gosh, I just did it. It's unbelievably it's unbelievably uh, uh, prevalent for us to want to do this. We just constantly want to make ourselves out to be the better person. I wake up in the morning, I have, to, I have to stop myself and say, you know what? Level ground. Level ground before the cross. It's a level ground where I stand with God. Everyone is there. Everyone. Anyone on planet Earth. If you look down on anyone on planet Earth, you're not understanding the gospel. And this is something I have to say to myself every single day. This is something when I get my email and somebody criticizes me and I think it's very unjust and it was it was handled very poorly, my first reaction is say, what a moron, right? Of course, that's what they said to me, so I guess the feeling's mutual. But <laughs> it's, it's more like, wait a minute. First of all, is there a kernel of truth in what they're saying? I don't have to be perfect. I'm not okay because of Steve. I'm okay because of Jesus. That's what makes me okay. I, I heard a guy say that once or twice. The Apostle Paul models this when he gives his own journey, his own story in Philippians chapter 3. And he says this. He says, uh, if someone else thinks this is starting in the middle of verse 4 of chapter 3 of the book of Philippians, if, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Dude, do you hear what he just said? He said, listen, here's, here's, the, here's the Bible. I'm holding it up. There's 613 commands in the Old Testament. Find one that I broke outwardly. Find one. I just go ahead. Now, he's later going to say, my gosh, I'm a, I'm a sinner. But on the outwardness, man, he was clean. He was a clean-cut kid. This guy didn't do stuff, right? He goes on to say this, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found of him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's beautiful, right? He says, if you think you have a lot to boast about, let me boast about my stuff. And now he's going to say all that boasting in who I was, I actually used to, I put that in the pro column and now I'm putting it in the, in the con column or to use a, uh, I, I'm putting in assets. I would say these were my assets and now I'm saying they're my liabilities because I was basically following the law. I was basically becoming my own God. I was becoming my own savior because I'm better than everyone else. And I really do think that God's going to grade on a curve. And he says, fundamentally here, what need to change is I'm not going to have a righteousness of my own that comes from following the law, but that which is from God. And I just have to humbly take it as a gift. That's the difference. That's what our passage is trying to get across here. You know, in scripture, there's a lot of sins listed. There's a lot of sins and God doesn't, doesn't is, you know, he votes no on all sin. But there's one sin in particular that, that God says he opposes. God opposes the proud, it says in 1 Peter, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. Well, who's the proud? Well, those who look at others and say that you're better. Who's that? All of us. Therefore, we need, to, we need to get on our face. I'm going to give you a minute right now. I'm going to give you a minute right now. And, and I'm just going to let you say it out loud. I don't care if you're alone or whatever, that's okay. But I'm going to give you a little bit of dead air time here. And I just want you to say, Lord, I am that guy. Go ahead and say that right now. Just say it out loud. Confess it to the Lord. Whatever it is that you're thinking about, whoever it is you're judging, Lord, I am that guy. As you do that, the gospel starts to become more and more real to you. If, if you look down at people, anything in Romans chapter 1, if you look down people that struggle with a certain type of sexual sin, or you look down at people who uh, maybe don't agree with you politically, or you look down at people who maybe have committed adultery, or you look down at people who maybe are really, really greedy, or whatever it is from the list, realize that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is trying to give you a gift here to say you're no better. And the gift is this. You can stop working for things. You can humble yourself because it's okay to look at your own sin in light of the gospel. If Jesus Christ actually paid for all of my sins, I'm okay in Jesus. I'm not okay because I'm better than so-and-so at how I manage my money, uh, my, my sex life, my how I manage my mouth with gossiping or not, 
uh, how, how smart I am or how, whatever, fill in the blank, whatever it is, I can let it go. I don't have to have a righteousness of my own that comes from following the rules, whatever rules that I think there are or whatever I've self-imposed that I can fulfill that other people fail at. I don't do that. I do this because I have a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And because of that, God, I'm going to allow you to look into my life deeply. I'm going to allow you to show me my sin because it's okay. I'm not okay. I'm not going to worship my sin. I'm going to worship my Savior. And I'm going to repent of my sin. I'm going to want to kill my sin. I hate my sin. May God grant you that this week as you apply Romans 2, 1 to 4. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. I hope you have a great week. We look forward to meeting up next time as we continue on in chapter 2. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.